1: Hey everybody, welcome to another startling, mysterious, and deep investigation on a little show we call Wizard and the Bruiser.
2: That's right. I'm your very scientifically minded wizard.
1: And I'm your conspiracy crackpot bruiser. I need facts. Why don't you believe? I'm a woman that needs facts. I'm a dude who loves... Basically getting my assumptions repeatedly confirmed, but no one believes me. So, like, I'm every rebellious teen that just hates it when their mom doesn't listen to you them. You can explain it away with something else. It was wind chimes or
2: something, <laughs> damn it.
1: Bruiser. I mean, yes, bruiser. You're and, a bruiser this week, right? And I guess in this analogy, uh, Maurice here. You're Skinner.
3: Yeah, I'm uh yeah. Why hasn't he gotten a promotion? He's still assistant director for nine seasons, assistant director. She's
1: standard. X. Oh.
3: Oh, there are so many informants though. We'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. She's crycheck.
3: We should even say
2: with this we should say with this episode. It's it's about the X-Files everybody. You probably already figured that out from the title. I mean, who doesn't read the title of that episode and just blindly launches in like a
1: maniac? What am I supposed to do? Read three words? <laughs> One of which is a letter? That's right. It's
2: the spooky X-Files. God, oh my god. Can we talk
1: about this intro by the way, like all the freaky post-process imaging? Yes. Like Government denies knowledge. Are they going to get to the freaky face guy? That was stretchy always my face word is, man? is. Is stretchy face man? He's coming up. There's oh. like a
2: seed germinating. I thought we just saw him. Yeah,
1: with the stretchy face. Oh, yeah. and then the, oh, the one red knuckle. I've never understood what that one red yeah, knuckle is. You don't need to understand. <laughs> the truth The is truth
2: out. is out there, Jake. And we're going to go figure out what the truth is to um, just the whole basic arc they tried to set up with this show. I, I mean- Everything I, I Okay, I think we can immediately start off just by sh- basically sharing our, our sort of immediate memories. I remember this came out at a time when, like, it hit at the perfect age, I think, for all of us. Um, and things were start There was, like, unsolved mysteries. And um, I remember I had this book called, like, Stranger Than Fiction that had, like, alien encounter stuff in it. I'm just starting to get really obsessed with, like, the unknown and the spooky. And this all kind of – this hit, like, immediately – and really was, um, the, one of the first shows I was seeing, at least that was airing on like primetime network TV that was like scare, like legit scary, Yeah, you know, especially with, I know we'll have a, a lot of a discussion about different specific episodes, but especially with, um, oh, where is it? Squeeze episode, <laughs> uh, season one episode, I think it was three, um, uh which really introduced the monster of the week and everything. It was this really scary monster, and I remember not expecting By scary that monster, at all.
1: do you mean Bendy White Guy? Yes, Bendy <laughs> White Guy. And I remember like
2: being immediately. Watch out, he's like, greasy. Oh, this show's like kind of like, oh, I gotta be a little like prepared for this show. This ain't just mm-hmm. gonna be some kind of like fun walk down the tulips uh, or whatever. It's going to be quite terrifying. I remember I really loved a season one. I'm trying to remember how long I stayed with it. I definitely fell off of it. Um, Pretty early on, within the first probably two or three seasons, but um, for a minute there, I was like way in.
1: So what you're saying is, once Millennium started, you jumped ship immediately. <laughs> you were like, I love Millennium. <laughs> yes,
2: exactly. I was. I'm. I'm a, I'm a, a millenniate, as we call ourselves. Millennium. Yep.
1: What do you think all those articles on clickbait sites are about? They're about Millennium fans. <laughs> <laughs> they love avocado toast. <laughs>
2: I, uh, we, we go to our weekly meeting. We meet in a pool hall, which is strange. No, None of us play pool. They hate us being there because we just kind of stand around the pool tables and don't actually play any games. So and we just talk about that show. What was it again?
1: Millennium? Chris Carter's Millennium.
2: Um, okay, Jake, how about yourself?
1: Um, I kind of missed the initial wave of this show. You were in an X-File with the PH? Uh, no, I was not. It wasn't until they jumped from their uh, Friday night time slot to Sunday's when it was part of just, like, my Simpsons devouring ritual. Uh, uh And it was this very bizarre... That's probably what it was. Yeah. Yeah. But it was this weird, like, high and low thing where I would laugh my ass off at the Simpsons, like, instantly memorize all the jokes me and my friends are going to repeat to each other at the playground the next day. And then sometimes there would just be this devastating, horror, drama, psychoanalytic, uh, philosophical hour of television that would just shake me to my core and make me just like stay up at night staring Mm -hmm. at my ceiling. And uh, because I was a just horrendous nerd, I deeply cared about the mythology and wanting to know what the actual plot was because I was too young to realize that TV writers have no vested interest in actually ending their stories coherently. Mm-hmm. They just have to keep the ball rolling as long as the money's coming in. Yes. It wasn't until Lost that I was like, I re- now I know what this is. Aha, I was about to say, nice the Lost try. effect, yes. Yeah.
2: And I feel like uh, before Lost, X-Files was like the Lost kind of in that sense. It got lo- Lost. a good name for it, too, because it kind of just it got a little Lost. Later on in the show, in the in the series, and and that's why, and of course, having um, Marie on as our guest today uh, uh, for good reason because you, as you said right before we started, stuck with it till the bitter end from
3: the very first episode <laughs> to the very last. The tattoo on the back of my neck is the one that Dana Scully receives in season four, episode thirteen. <laughs> Never ah. again. The Ouroboros. I am a diehard deep fan. What Fantastic. is it with
1: female X-Files fans and getting tattoos on the back of your neck? <laughs> I'm so, I mean, it's a good place. <laughs> At least not a bird, you know?
3: Hey, wait, why, why are you ragging other people's tattoos? <laughs> hey?
1: Actually, wait. never mind.
2: No, no. Like, she has a bird on her wrist. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> so, Marie, what was your favorite part of the X-Files? Was it the incredible practical monster effects makeup or the uh, complicated plot involving the U.S. government and spooky aliens?
3: It might have been the uh, the competent, beautiful woman that was basically the focus of the show for nine years.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, what?
3: <laughs> yeah, this show's not about Fox Mulder. It's 100% about Dana Scully.
1: No. No. What? Yeah. yeah
3: I mean- Fox Mulder is already in it. He's in the mythology. He already believes in the aliens. There's no development there. Scully needs to be convinced. Mm. She's the skeptic and you see her grow and change over those nine years. It's 100% about her.
1: I can't believe Chris Carter wrote such a convincing and brilliant character. Chris Carter
3: accidentally found gold. (laughs) Accidentally. It's none of this. None of this can be credited to him. Chris
1: Carter,
2: the
3: creator
2: of uh, the American sci-fi drama TV series, The X-Files. He was born in California in 1956, graduated from California State University, Long Beach with a journalism degree. He was a surfer, bro. He was a surfing to the max, dude. He was his favorite stance was goofy footed, and he was and he started working for Surfing Magazine. He worked there for thirteen years, clearly a pretty big self starter um, for a surfer, dude. Because he became the editor of that magazine at age twenty eight, um, and that's what he attributes to to being able to run a business. To was that experience he had.
1: I can't imagine what it must have been like being you know at the edge of your seat, constantly just like stressed out of your mind in the rough and tumble world of surfing magazine. Well,
2: dude, bro, whenever he needed to get a little break from that, he was super into pottery compared <laughs> to Zen Meditation. And he was like, bro, I've been editing the shot out of this mog all day. I need to do some pot tra. Um, And so, yeah, he was like really into it uh, for a long time. He ended up dating a lady at one point named Dory Pearson, who had connections to Walt Disney Studios. And this is actually how he makes his entrance into the television He dated a
1: co Worker's cousin, yada yada yada. Yeah. He invented the X-Files.
2: Yes. Uh, and uh, he, uh, well, well, yes. He, the, the chairman, Jeffrey Katzenberg, known for reinvigorating the live action animated divisions of Walt Disney Studios by producing films like Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, you know, those little known flicks. Uh, he hires Carter on a standard contract. Carter writes a couple of TV movies. I don't know. I, I'm sure you've heard of this one. The Brat Patrol. Oh, we
1: found the trailer for it, and it looks <laughs> dumb as hell. I
2: watched like one quick scene from it and I was like man I kind of want to pull audio for this because it's so dumb <laughs> but like whatever that whole movies on YouTube means anybody's interested it's a bit of a like a bad news bears feeling type show it's a bunch of military brats but they find out that the actually there are connections X-Files with this though <laughs> they find out that the government is like doing something shady on this military base and it's like up to them to like expose it which is
1: hilarious that explains that scene in the T- in the 10th season, when Mulder throws a bunch of banana peels on the ground and the smoking man just slips all over him <laughs> and falls into a pit of the purity black goo.
2: There's also Meet the Muncie's uh, about a lower class family uh, that moves into a mansion uh, when a maid is left in charge of an elderly woman's fortune. And of course, that elderly woman's relatives, they're not too happy about that, Jake. Uh, it, it, he started writing early on with just writing pretty hackneyed, premised.
1: Stuff right, but just kind of getting sitcoms, his sea legs. Family, children's comedy, totally. It almost, and but yet he still keeps schmoo. If the, the, you're reading the same stories like, as I am. He just keeps schmoozing with all these like network bigwigs. So I'm thinking like, you know, this, this is like the '80s. He's like the surfing magazine guy. He just keeps like chilling out with all the he's smoking up the entirety of Hollywood yeah, one totally. dude at a time must be. until he gets in the right place
2: with his pottery well that's the thing of course uh, to uh, as legend has it uh, Carter meets uh, the president at the time of uh, NBC Brandon Tartikoff at a company softball game um, who and they hit it off swimmingly at this softball game they were getting loaded smoking doobies behind the <laughs> fence and then uh, you know that's what all this means right they were just doing all sorts of drugs together. Together in the dugout. You know, they had like a the dugout, they somehow smoked out a dugout. It's an open air sort of space. They somehow smoked it out. And
1: somehow just because it's Hollywood and it's the eighties, just like Twenty women an hour were just sexually assaulted. I don't even <laughs> yes, know how. Absolutely, that during was, the course, softball game. The I don't know how it assaulting
2: happened. Of uh, yeah, the softball game. We all know about that one. They just found a way to do it. They uh, they, they, yeah. Then they showed each other their penises, <laughs> which apparently is a thing that everyone does in Hollywood. And then um, they he got him to read some of his work, and he was hired to write at NBC. He was right working on some TV pilots. Uh, you've heard of these, right? Cameo by Night, huh? And Brand New Life. Brand new life is straight up the Brady Bunch. There was also Copter Cop. That sounds that was awful.
1: That's
2: my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> like, I need that script. I need to read that script for Copter Cop and Cool Culture, which was about surfing. So that was his whole or thing. Can you for imagine
1: that. Copter Cops just like free scum? And like the criminals just like, what? <laughs> You're—it's
3: very loud. He's
2: flying away again. He's always flying away. <laughs> Never touches the ground. That copter guy. I just see Inspector Gadget. God. It's just Inspector oh, Gadget. I just saw
3: RoboCop with blades on the top of yeah, it, yeah. like a beanie. Just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. God
1: damn it, Copter Cop! You, you're out of line. I need your badge, your gun, and your propellers.
3: Now, do you know the show
2: Rags
1: to Riches? Um, Are you aware of that? I didn't really some look kind too of deeply like, into it. Uh, uh, it's some. It's one of those. It's like of that genre where it's like uh, I'm an uptight old man, but like oh, the the urban youth are like giving me a new perspective. It's like very rags to yeah. It has. It's a very rags to riches.
3: Like different strokes or Punky Brewster. Yeah, or exactly. Any of those shows. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. That gotcha.
1: Um, I did not check the race of the other cast members, so we will never know if it's Different Strokes or Punky Brewster. (laughs) That is lost to time. (laughs) Uh,
2: Well, he produced on that show in order to learn how a show was run. Now, um, uh, Peter Roth, president of Stephen J. Cannell Productions, uh, gets a copy of the Cool Culture script. And apparently it was pretty jamming, Mon, because he ends up firing him. So we're going to work on a CBS series called Palace Guard. But Roth then gets hired to the head of Fox's TV production wing and took Carter with him in 1992. So that's how the business works, right? Now, have you ever it's like Walt Disney into NBC into, you know, you're just hopping around left and right. You're just you're never, you know, until finally, you um, You end up in a position where you just magically find yourself with some sort of uh, any power in the studio. But, I mean,
1: have you noticed that sometimes we've done these kind of, like, uh, creator bios and... You know, we had these weird revelations. I was like, oh shit, did you know that Conan O'Brien actually was like a writer on The Simpsons? Or like, oh shit, did you know the arrested development guy was a writer on Golden Girls? Or like, you know, it, like you see the person's like talent like leave its mark across yeah. all, everything leading up to their big breakout.
2: Like Batman was in an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> <laughs> like all those crazy facts that we found out. Uh, Batman was Carlton. <laughs> <laughs> the Power Rangers were the vice president for uh, one term <laughs> in
1: 1936. 19- 1987, the, the Ken Star investigation <laughs> had a weird clause in it. The 90s were wild, guys. 90s were stupid, dude. They're, half the people
2: in the world were animated; they weren't even real. people. It was crazy.
1: And if you and you would bump into them because, like, if they were standing sideways, you couldn't see them.
2: You couldn't see anybody. It was
1: crazy. I'm so glad
2: those days are over. Yo-yos, please. Pogs. Ugh. ugh. Get it out of here. I would like TGIF back, though. Thank you. That would be fun. Any hoosies though. Um, what you, or where were you going with that though? I'm sorry. Oh no. <laughs> sorry. That, turning
3: that, it into a pit. I apologize. leaving their mark. Chris yeah, Carter that, didn't. Chris yeah. Carter is
1: just has a, has a, has a, has left a wake of like, what? From them. the Brat Patrol straight
2: into the X-Files. He There's stumbled no, on brilliance. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you on that. Um, yeah, he, he, in, in 1992, he's now at Fox um and uh, uh, hired on by uh, by this guy, Peter Roth. He starts working on a series based on, he had some childhood loves, okay? Yes, The Twilight Zone, obs, mm-hmm. okay? But actually, more than The Twilight Zone or any of the other shows that were popular at the time like that, he was actually really more so obsessed with Kolchak, The Night Stalker. I saw a quote at one point, he said, like, everyone wants to say it was Twilight Zone and this and that, but actually, 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 Thirty percent of the inspiration for my show was Cole Jack the Night Stalker. Now I looked up some Cole Jack the Night Stalker. Do you? Uh, do you? Did you?
1: Did you check any out? Uh, yeah, it's actually it's it's weirdly this quintessentially like '70s nerd show. Um, it like was originally a TV movie where like this weird kind of I don't I don't want to call him a hippie, but this kind of unconventional uh half manic uh San Francisco, I believe, reporter, uh stumbles across like vampire killings and uh, nobody believes him and he like, you know, tumbles through the underworld and like investigates it and like it's it what did amazingly, especially during a time like that when TV movies were a big deal and the uh show was like uh was popular, but it kind of phased out quickly. It was just kind of a mark of its time. I mm. mostly forgotten to history. Carl Ko-
2: Kolchak, played by Darren McGavin, is uh, investigating mysterious crimes with unlikely causes, particularly those that law enforcement authorities would not follow up on. X-Files, what? It aired on ABC from 74 to 75. Had a pretty short term uh, there. And um, the main character originated from an unpublished novel, The Kolchak Papers, written by Jeff Ross. You know, it was different. That
1: Jeff Ross?
2: Yeah, that Jeff Ross, or Jeff Rice. Okay. The other Jeff the other Jeff Ross. Um, he uh, managed to tackle most of the major monster myths, different, you know, you've got your mummies and your werewolves and your vampires. There was also, like, they did, like, Satanism and stuff like that. I mean, they kind of went all over, all over the map. Um, and, in fact, uh, McGavin does actually make an appearance, the actor who played Kolchak, uh, in a few episodes, um... Uh, it's as, Las Vegas,
1: not San Francisco. Sorry.
2: Ah, as Arthur Dales, a retired FBI agent, described as the father of the X Files. So he that is actually Kolchak from the Kolchak oh. Papers, um, and uh, yeah, there's different ways that there's different little slip ins that they paid uh, tribute to Kolchak. Um, just different little like you'll there's different little um, Easter eggs for it and everything. Um, but there was also other inspirations at the time that really kind of came into play. Another one being um, just a report that came out that uh, said that 3.7 million Americans have been abducted by aliens, which is completely insane. Also, the water— well, it,
1: it didn't say that 3.7 million Americans had been abducted by aliens. It said 3.7 million Americans think they were abducted. Think they were
2: abducted by aliens, exactly. And then the, the Watergate scandal, so I think we should actually—I was like, everybody knows Watergate, but you know what? Maybe we should explain. No, Maybe you know some what? of the listeners don't know what Watergate is. Gr-
1: Open up another tab. Don't be mean. Whatever you're about to say, do not be mean right now, Jake. Expand your mind, please. Like you know, do some. You know, we do a lot of research on the show. Now it's your turn.
2: The Watergate scandal was a political scandal in the U.S. <laughs> during the early 1970s, in which five men broke into the Democratic National Committee headquarters of the Watergate Office Complex in D.C. on June 17, 1972, and Richard Nixon. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, is this, cover this, is this up the, the
1: Spiro Agnew wizard in the bruiser episode? He covered it up.
2: He's a crook. He says he's not, but he's a crook. But anyways, it's all about the. It was one of the first big um, instances of the American. People getting shown, shined a light on the conspiracies and the hidden fucked up shit that was going on within the government for the first time ever, Um, and I think that that was really like kind of big for
1: like it was. was It was less the actual uh, conspiracy and more like the idea that a couple of people in like a fluorescent lit hallway in Washington D.C. can have these like intense conversations where the fate of the nation is involved. Like yeah. it's kind of like all the presidents. It's more all the presidents. All the presidents
2: men as well, yeah. And like film, the actual Which I highly recommend seeing. Yeah. All the President's Men is a phenomenal movie Check it out. And of course
1: the main source in the uh, Woodward and Bernstein is was called Deep Throat, because the porn, because it's cause, you know, everyone was sick back then because there wasn't an internet for everyone to get an out uh, you know to vent their But like so there's all this imagery. There's this like counterculture stuff. Like uh I mean if you listen to uh uh, last podcast on the left, you know that, like, the 70s and 80s was a pretty wild time in terms of just, like, out there communities kind of coalescing around their own individual narratives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, all this stuff about the Greys and, you know, Roswell and then the Illuminati and all, you know, it's, it's, there was, okay, there was so much original American mythology that was ripe for the picking. And nobody, yeah, was a big one. And nobody had, like, harnessed it and, uh... It's it it created like an amazingly like just compelling pastiche.
0: Was that the right word?
3: Yeah. No, no, that works. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thank God.
2: (laughs) The character of Scully and um, just and basically the whole. Uh them being FBI agents was largely based on uh, Silence of the Lambs, or inspired by Silence of the Lambs, rather. There, That was the whole um, kind of- You oh. name
1: one thing Clarice Starling has in common with Dana Scully. <laughs> Just one.
3: All of the things. Yeah. All, yeah, from she, start to finish. Right down to the haircut in the <laughs> beginning.
2: She's literally the same. She's literally the same person.
3: What, I'm sorry, what was that? What was-
0: they both have breasts.
3: Boop,
2: they, boop, both have both breasts. they both yeah, have breasts. They both have breasts, and they're mm-hmm. both with breasts, yeah, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Megan was motioning to us with breasts, and we were like, "We get it. You, you have breasts." And she's like, "No, <laughs> all three of us. All three of us. Yeah." Um, Carter says, uh, "Mulder and Scully came right out of my head. A dichotomy. They are the equal parts of my desire to believe in something and my inability to believe in something." My skepticism and my faith, and the writing of the characters came very easily to me, Marie. He said, "It literally says Marie." It says Marie.
1: <laughs>
2: I want, like a lot of people do, to have the experience of witnessing a paranormal phenomenon. At the same time, I want not to accept it, but to question it. I think these characters and those voices came out of that duality. Smoke doobies, I'm gonna go catch 10 <laughs> on some raw wogs, y'all. It's and like then you it just is, the trails up. Is it isn't, but it is. <laughs> no. So, um, initially, the pitch for the X-Files was rejected by Fox execs. They came back a few weeks later with a more fleshed-out concept and got commissioned for the pilot. Now, that actually gave me pause, because that sounds kind of crazy to me. Just being a person who's gone and pitched things before, I've never heard of getting, like, that kind of a mulligan. I mean, I guess he was sort of higher up. You know, he was, like, working for Fox, so maybe he just had that leeway. But to—actually, I think it's an even harder feat to have your idea be rejected and then to go rework it And return and resell Them the shit they didn't buy uh, Like a week or two ago that kind of blows my Mind
1: uh, it helps that Fox Was still kind of young Ish as mm. a network and yeah. was e- Really eager to prove itself because they Hadn't they had success with The Simpsons and married with children but I don't think they had like a real hit drama Yet
2: yeah it's funny how Fox is so Associated with like conservatism and Like old man stuff when Old white man stuff when like uh, back in the day they were like the bad boys. Like they were like edgy, like Simpsons was edgy. Married Richard, they were like, What's Fox gonna do? It? Fox graffiti, I man. Don't Fox want does to sound no dramatic,
1: but if I was able to shoot Matt Groening in the head in nineteen eighty nine, I would fundamentally save America. Wow, really? <laughs> you think so? Just saying it's a crazy world we live in. <laughs> um so uh, Can that be the poll quote on the in the episode? Sure. The Great.
2: So, <laughs> so, um, there were some other inspirations while they were working on this. Oh, by the way, they ended up working with NYPD Blue producer Daniel Sackheim, which I think really does lend to. I, I enjoyed NYPD Blue back in the day. It had like a rawness to it. It had like a dark feel to it that I think worked really well in terms of what they wanted to do with the X-Files. They also drew inspiration for the 1988 documentary, The Thin Blue Line by Errol Morris. Um, so I, a procedural. I yeah. cannot... Yeah a procedural And I, I just cannot recommend The Thin Blue Line enough Um, It literally got a man uh, Off of Death Row It's like the most incredible Like crime documentary And it really set the stage Like you'll watch it And you'll probably be like This was really cool But you have to realize like All the choices in it were things that did not exist until Errol Morris did it in that documentary. So you're going to see a bunch of things you've seen a ton of times now, but like in retrospect, it's unbelievable work. Uh, And also a British TV series called Prime Suspect* which I'm very curious about. It's a British police procedural TV drama starring Helen Mirren as Jane Tennyson, one of the first female detective chief inspectors in Greater London's Metropolitan Police Service. And it dealt a lot with like sexual harassment in the workplace and sort of all all these kind of issues with being like this first woman in in this kind of higher uh, position. And it's Helen Mirren who's phenomenal. So I'm actually quite curious to go back and check some of that out. It sounds really great. Um, And obviously uh, another, Um, And clear inspiration for uh, what they ended up doing. Um, And one thing I did appreciate with Carter from the very beginning is that he really, and and even though this did change as the show went on, he really was really hard on the on the idea that Mulder and Scully would have a platonic relationship. He wanted a Emma Peel, John Steed, Avengers style, you know, the TV series Avengers style. Platonic relationship, which and I think the is the Only cool.
1: thing that ruined that plan was the first three seconds when Jillian Anderson and David it, Duchovny were on screen together. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Just the incredible <laughs> chemistry that they have. Wait, uh, so uh, yeah, please, yeah, yeah. So
1: how? So you are like you you've been fangirling over this show for so long, like. Do you do you know like the full inside story about like the casting process and stuff like that or
3: uh, not the casting? Pro- I mean, I know that David Duchovny was like an English professor and just decide like at Yale, like it's just a smarty pants and decided that he yeah. wanted to try acting. Yeah. And this was like his first big leading role and. Uh, Jillian Anderson was just some like punk upstart who went to like an English boarding school and like what and she was like again twenty four ridiculously young and this Mm -hmm. was her first big role so I mean they casted unknowns I'm not sure how they I mean they probably just put them in a room together that that was a
2: policy Mm -hmm. of theirs as uh, of of Carter's as well and I love this policy I agree with this so wholeheartedly that he really felt if you put names into it it would immediately break from the reality of the Mm -hmm. show and I love to see shows. Um, and films with absolute no names that have like huge talent, not only because I love to see people get a break, but also because it really, I agree with that concept that man, I really get immersed so much more into the world when I'm not watching like spe- specifically, you know, uh, this
3: person as, as Ben
2: Affleck as Batman, yeah. like as a great example of being like, I can't buy that. Like I'll never buy that. That's you know? why
1: I had, I always had trouble watching uh, law and order D'Onofrio intent.
2: I hate you (laughs) So uh, just to reiterate some of the some of the uh, uh, things that you just you just spoke about. David Duchovny, born in New York in 1960, the son of a teacher and a writer publicist who worked at the American Jewish Committee. He graduated uh, from Princeton University and went to Yale uh, to receive a Master in Arts in English Lit, and he was starting on his PhD, uh, but he never finished. He got his first acting gig and an ad for brow Beer in 1987. The Princeton-Yale shit's so funny because when he, apparently when he went into audition for the role of Mulder, he uh carter thought that he was a like an idiot like i guess he was speaking too slowly <laughs> for his liking and thought he was really stupid and was like he's really good for the part but i think he's like kind of an idiot bro dog now i'm gonna go hot dog down I'm so, the i'm sorry
3: he was a David Coveney was speaking too slow for a surfer. How slow <laughs> was he speaking? I don't know,
2: situation? right? I, it's so crazy. So Carter was like really kind of hesitant about it, and then of course Carter, <laughs> would,
1: Carter was like. It later turned out I was high on cough was syrup.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And 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 he he uh, went on to say like, oh, we ended up being like the most red person I've ever met, and um uh all, all this all this stuff, and obviously, and 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 which we'll get into uh, li- more so probably later, but Coveney Ended up being like a lot of the creative, uh, you know, choices that happened later on in the show. David Company had quite a quite a hand in actually, and and was really invested in all those things. And then you have Jillian um, Anderson, born in Chicago, but she kept going back and forth. Right, she moved to London um, so that her father could attend the London Film School. Her father was a post had a post production film company, um, and her mother was a computer analyst. Uh, but then they ended up moving back to the States, but she acquired like an accent. So that's why she's uh bi, what is it called? Bilingual? Bi- no, 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 not lingual. She speaks
1: both English and English? Yeah, <laughs> she just,
2: she can, she can pop back. She, she was made fun of when she returned. They went to a small Republic, uh, they, uh, they were living in a small Republican town and, and she got, uh. Picked on a lot and everything, and and uh, I mean, for her accent and everything. when you watch the
1: show, like there's this weird Scu- Like when Scully is speaking like authoritatively, she like becomes oddly like proper, right? It's kind of am I mean? because she's a lot of
3: science, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> by
2: dialectal is what the word uh, I was trying to find on my notes here. Um, oh, she's by all
1: right. I've read the fan fiction. <laughs>
2: uh, so so she she was all drugs and you know, punk and rebellion and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and it was like a, that there were like six punks that she was like, there was, and no one else, you know, cause she lived in a very conservative little town. She ended up, um, go doing community theater, attending the, uh, theatrical school at DePaul, uh, university in Chicago and got her BFA in 1990. Um, and at 22, she moves to New York. She's working as a waitress, pursuing acting. She gets her start in a play called Absent Friends at the Manhattan Theater C- School, uh, uh, club, rather, for which she won a the- Theater World Award for uh, for Best Newcomer. But then, mm-hmm, I thought you were you were mm-hmm. close to uh, saying something. Then, she moves to L.A. in 1992. And she gets a feature film called The Turning. Um, and, uh, uh, but after that, she's like trying to figure out what she wants to do uh, and uh, here let me read this as Jillian uh, Anderson first of all I swore I'd never m- never move to Los Angeles and once <laughs> I did I swore I'd never do television it was only after being out of work that uh, I, uh, almost a year <laughs> that I, I began going into auditions on some stuff that uh, I would pray and uh, that I wouldn't get uh, because I didn't want to be involved in it yeah, that was, see? that was me doing a bilingual. I was trying to go back and forth between dialects. Did you catch it? <laughs> yeah, I caught. it. It's very subtle. Uh, How was it? Was that good? It was, it was pretty good. <clears throat> I'll try again. I'll practice next time. I'll practice. So, so next
1: like, time. here are these two people. So, this is this is something that Marie were trying to tell me about uh, when we were like doing some cramming sessions. I thought it was fascinating. There's like, and there's a complete tension between like Mulder and Scully as Chris Carter wanted them to be and Mulder and Scully as David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. Like where are like some of the key differences?
3: Uh, Well, I mean, as you said earlier, Chris Carter wanted the relationship to remain platonic and he had the characters as they were written be vastly different. But on screen, obviously there's an incredible chemistry between the two of them and that the way that they interact, there's, and maybe it's because it was written to be platonic, so nothing in the dialogue lends itself to, like, romantic interaction. But David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson would just gaze at each other. And it wasn't helped by these, like, tight close-up shots where it's just their faces millimeters from each other as they discuss conspiracies. Mm-hmm. And it just drags out for nine seasons because he refused to let it happen.
2: And there's, I mean, jumping ahead here, they're, like, they're together now, right? They're, like, actually together? The
3: actors? Yeah. I mean, that's the tea. But nobody, they're not confirming it.
2: Oh, uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. But they, they actually, like, showed up. each
3: other during the real show. Really? Yeah, because David, like, opposite of their characters, David Duchovny was, like, the super serious English dude. I'm very smart. I've read Who all the books. Who was just
2: banging Vancouver, just yeah, having just sex with literally Vancouver. literally
3: everyone just <laughs> cleaning the fuck up. And Gillian Anderson was, like, this new-agey, giggly former punk you know did one play and like a movie and then got cast and they were completely at odds like personality wise and I Mm -hmm. think I think David Duchovny didn't have any respect for her. Like while they were doing the show, she would like ruin shots with giggles. And whatnot. I mean, uh-huh. watching yeah. the
1: pilot, I was you know it's it's that weird thing where like the people when you were a kid watching, you're like oh those are grown ups, and now that I'm in my thirties, I'm looking oh no, at, they're
3: puppy dogs, they're babies. Like uh, yeah. David Duchovny
1: is like at least thirty two or thirty three in the first episode. But Jillian Anderson's like 24 25 and she's tiny. Yeah. She's a tiny child. I mean, she yeah. had to, I mean she's
3: a petite woman. She anyway. had
2: to wear uh, I a mean, or she boy, had a little person. She had to stand on the jilly box. The jilly <laughs> box. In order to sometimes, do scenes with Dooney because she was so modified short. Sometimes
3: i into the jilly ramp if they had to do a walking <laughs> scene.
2: <laughs> That's so crazy. There are
3: some great outtakes where she forgets that she's on the ramp and she just hits the end and falls like you see her just trip and then she like sinks a foot because she is literally a foot shorter.
1: No, it'll be weird watching an episode where like they're ta- uh, where Mulder and Scully are having like an intense conversation and she's like they're at least she at least manages like eye contact. Yeah. And then they'll be like in a far off shot and there's just like oh no, uh, your daughter seems to be wearing a pantsuit. Are you okay, sir? <laughs>
2: Um, so uh, they they begin the filming of of this show. Uh, Carter founds Ten Thirteen Productions, which is named after his birthday, and uh, they That's end also up also Fox Mulder's birthday, by the way. Really mm-hmm. interesting. <laughs> That's where you're on the show. Uh, <laughs> una- they were uh, unable to find good locations in LA. They ended up moving production to Vancouver, where the first five seasons would shoot, uh, and uh, they end up. Uh, of uh, uh wanting to go there cuz that's where the good forests are quote unquote um uh they they do the first 5 seasons there uh, and the f- yeah i gu- i mean they really do Immediately kind of jump into this whole mythos or uh, myth arc, uh, which is referred to as it is referred to by staff and fans, um, where they're building uh, around a government conspiracy to hide the truth about alien existence and their doomsday plan. Um, And that's where we start to meet some more uh, other characters that come into play. Of course, there's the smoking man, um, uh, Mulder's nemesis, the uh, uh, person who's kind of like uh, running. Is he running the syndicate?
3: No, the, he's uh lower on the rung on the syndicate, okay. yeah. But he's definitely he's the one. Who is, is in contact with Mulder And like keeping him away from the truth But also giving him the truth It goes back and forth
2: So no the way. show has an overlying arc For like a small percentage of the Or it's like
3: Oh not small Small it's, it
2: was huge Well yeah. and more as more seasons went on It became more and more about the myth arc Right And less and there's, less Monster of the Week Because there's also the So there's two sides to X-Files There's the myth arc Where I was just describing And the Monster of the Week right. Which is you know Any kind of uh, you know Hannibal is a more recent example Of a Monster of the Week show um, but, you you know, it's them dealing with kind of a one off situation. Um, it's kind
1: of it's really brilliant that they did yeah. this because it, they get the like compulsion and addiction of a serialized drama with the mind blowing creative freedom and experimentation that you associate with an anthology series mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all contained in a single show. Yeah. yeah. So like you get that like you need that next hit of plot information. You're like begging for it. You're like you want to know what the mystery is. But then out of nowhere they'll just have like a weird Rashomon or like a black and white like uh uh uh, uh, uh what's the word? uh homage.
3: Yeah, yeah you're thinking of The Great Mutato. Oh. episode the postmodern <laughs> prometheus yeah the whole episode is shot in black and white yeah no yes. it's a great way to like create that tension because if you kept going from mytharc episode to Myth arc episode you just get bogged down in these intense nonsensical layers of aliens over aliens but then you have to break it up the amazing Monster one-offs. And we're, There are so many amazing monsters. Yes, that come up right. In the show
2: fantastic ones. That were, were you? Were you more into the monster of the week or the getting more, feeding more on the myth arc stuff and like knowing I mean, more? It was
3: back and forth when I first got obsessed with the show. I was like, ooh, conspiracy, and they, you know, they draw you in. And it's very shadowy, and you're into it. But as the show progressed, and I realized Chris Carter had no idea what he was doing, I got deeply into the monster of the week episode. <laughs> That's got to be
2: fun, right? Also. Just realizing that the creator of the show you love just has no clue.
1: Especially in the early seasons They were pretty good There's no bigger Like what's in the box bombshell Than a fucking alien fetus Yeah (laughs) Like that's pretty good Yeah
3: yeah, but, I mean, but he also didn't plan for, like, the show to be sustained at all. Are, are, in your notes, or do you have Gillian Anderson's pregnancy in there? Which yes, is and how two? important
2: that had to do with the yep. Myth Arc episode. Actually, too, real quick, before we even get into that, oh, um, they, they said—no, no, no, no worries. Um, I, I just remembered this, that uh, they say that the whole thing was launched— um, uh, with this final scene of this deep, deep throat episode, it started really quickly. Okay, it was season one, episode two, is where that that moment happens. Um, but at the beginning, Chris Carter did not even think of creating mythology for the episodes, focusing on extraterrestrial life. The producers were afraid of not creating a thread between the episodes, centering on the conspiracy. Uh, because uh, being that they felt it would be uh, pretentious if they did not do it, which I think is an interesting mm-hmm. way to put that. I, I don't really get that. But I will say it makes sense from a marketing perspective or from um, – A show, a kind of uh, perspective in terms of planning, because those kinds of shows, like Twilight Zone, are a bit of a relic of the past. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know nowadays, if you're going to do Monster of the Week, you still need that like overline. I think through line. Yeah,
3: you need something. It's just it's just
1: expensive to have an entirely new set up every episode <clears throat> yeah for sure people like
2: one-off episodes and stuff but they want it kind of mixed in with like a, s- a sort of homebrew but um the the carter th- sees the final scene of deep throat is the real launching moment and we have it here um if you if you would uh play that for us
0: mr mulder why are those like yourself who believe in the existence of extraterrestrial life on this so this Earth, is the this is deep throat talking
2: oh, to mr mulder to
0: the Mr.
2: Mulder. Mr. Mulder I have just said that cuz he just said all it
0: All the evidence to the contrary And Mulder not is
1: persuasive well. Precisely <gasps> We're about to get a Revelationary bombshell they are,
0: aren't they? <laughs> Mr. Mulder, they've been here <laughs> Mr. For a long, long time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, he has all yeah. this They're here, they've been there for a long, long time. Boom. Already. That's they- it. The first paintbrush. That's also, it. And
2: and and uh, all I do have to use, mention the sweat. It's hilarious. He has hilariously bad um, fake sweat makeup on it. It's it's so overdone, and I just I thought that was amazing. So go back and watch that scene just just for that.
1: It's actually. Uh it's it's kind of amazing uh that the 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 atmosphere of the show is the Vancouver setting, this kind of like misty forest, which also congratulations, the nineties with Seattle. Like the Pacific yeah. Northwest was just an in aesthetic. It's, yeah it's like uh it's like Japan now. I don't know everyone just thought that was where all the cool shit came from. Right,
2: right. so it's so interesting. And then and going back to um the uh pregnancy, uh, so that was that was termed as uh Well, the the executive producer Frank Spotnitz described it as the best thing that ever happened to the series Um, and it led to the whole right because it it takes her out of the show is why. Right. right? I didn't
3: know actually the part that you mentioned before where uh, Chris Carter didn't have like a through line plan really when he started this because if you look at the characters of Mulder and Scully like why would Scully stick around? Why? Like Mulder's invested because his sister was abducted. He's got a personal vested interest in figuring out Mm -hmm. what the truth is. Scully was assigned to debunk him why is she sticking around because she
2: can't get away from his eyes there's no
3: but chris carter established that he didn't want a romantic relationship so why is she sticking around so in the second season when jillian anderson gets pregnant they have her be abducted yes and when she comes back from her pregnancy when they bring her back into the show she was affected by that abduction and so her quest is then to find out like what happened to her. Yes. Why does she have spoilers? It's twenty years. Cancer. She gets cancer. Like right. where did it come from? What are they doing? Is it the government? And that keeps her like locked
2: Where into did this. her eggs go? And not only that, in wh- a drawer. <laughs> and they're in a drawer. That's of course season. All right, I
1: forgot about the egg drawer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> season five, episode six, Where are my freaking eggs?
1: Which is a fun Oven episode that's go comedy episode. Yeah, Oven Oven if it. Got I
3: hate
2: you. Uh, and while and while um him if you got him. I miss <laughs> <that's right. laughs> uh, And while uh, that she's gone, they're able to really develop these characters a little bit um, more so because she's she's out of the picture for a second. So you've got Walter Skinner, the Smoking Man, X, uh, the introduction of Alex uh, Christ Christak Cry-check. Cry-check. Sorry about that. What is his
1: nickname in the fan community? Rap boy. Oh,
2: ah, yeah.
3: rap boy.
1: Why why was he called that?
3: Have you seen him? Like oh, he's, he's got cl- a very pointy face <laughs> it's
1: like a
2: little Also man. he's always
3: like Undermining mm. Mulder He's like yeah <laughs>
2: um, And then if, it was Duchovny himself who approached Chris Carter and said wouldn't it be great if we Had like a alien bounty hunter And Chris <laughs> 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 And Chris Carly was just like I am so high, I, I don't know, is my nose missing? And he was like, no, it's on your face, dude. And he was like, perfect gnarly casting. bra, let's hang some tin. perfect casting. And that's just also a testament to Duchovny really starts to kind of Get involved in the creative stuff uh, to a certain degree. Starts to really kind of want to get in there and sort of like sh- like add add to the story, shakes things up, and, and and that's another testament to them not having any idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Where to where an, uh, the lead actor can just start getting involved and in like, where the hey, story is going. Hey, you know
3: what's a fun going? idea? We have aliens. Why not more aliens? Let's add more on top of those. There's <laughs> there's three aliens that we're talking about here. There's the colonists, <laughs> then there's the alien rebels. And then yep. there's the super soldiers. Like, there's just too much. I'm no, sorry. No, there's, there's,
1: ahead. I'm sorry. Are you talking about the, the grays? The stitchy magus? Oh, I forgot about the, <laughs> the
3: reticulants. The go- yeah, no, 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 The grays are different. That's a whole different one. And then
1: the black No, okay, in the, the movie, oil, the movie they established <laughs> that the black oil is like alien, uh, oh, uh, Baby goo, yeah, it's alien baby and it gets goo, right. in your face, right? And then it um, gestates into the spooky long claw alien that they had to use because they finally had enough uh, movie budget for a right. cool monster. Yeah, that's actually
3: <laughs> in the movie. It's a different strain of the black oil, where it's like an alien easy bake oven. It gestates really <laughs> quickly, so yeah, it actually takes longer like the original yeah. black oil. So that's
1: as Chris Carter intended <laughs> his brilliant plan for this show. Um.
2: Yeah, uh, just a testament to uh, this is from a quote from writer Howard Gordon who did Home uh, would go on to do Homeland who worked on the show. In the course of a 24 episode season you'd have 6 or 7 or 8 episodes that really told a story that promised more and more. That answered itself as it went along but then asked even more questions. And that kind of twisted back in itself. I mean, sometimes perhaps one time too many. But it turned out to be a story that captured a lot of people's imagination and that sustained for a remarkably long time. Which is just uh, a long Prose just to say um, Me not know what we do We didn't know what we do He didn't know what we do Uh,
1: So that's like the essential um, The essential tension within the fandom Is that there were nerds that were Absolutely in it for the mythology And there were fans that were in it for the romance
2: Now I gotta say it was the mythology That really turned me off in the show I I think i I,
1: off. off.
2: Yeah, I I was like, there's way too much going on here. This seems way too overcomplicated. And I just especially at the time, it might be something I would go for more so like today. But back then, I just wanted to see scary monsters and like spooky, crazy, spooky stuff. I didn't really want to. And I felt, too. And I feel like in a way where they may have shot themselves in the foot a little bit is that like. I felt like maybe I missed a season or I missed a few episodes, oh, and all absolutely. of a sudden I'm just
1: lost and I have no idea what the hell's going
2: we on. We're all lost, right? We were all lost. So even yeah,
3: religiously followed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's where the uh, internet came in
3: because oh, yeah,
2: and and perfect timing. I mean, and what spawned a lot of this super fandom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you had a lot of experience on like message boards and stuff.
3: Oh, I mean, okay, so the X Files, like was there for the birth of the internet like we just skimmed past like USENET groups and whatnot and this like in 1993 94 93 when it premiered in the 94 like you started getting like the GeoCities and the tripod and the angel fire sites and it gave birth to the web rings oh my god i belong to so many x-files web rings can you Nate? do you remember a few Um, Okay, so there was one site that I would visit all the time. It was called the X-Files Institute for Relationshippers. And it was (laughs) Kelly Use was the author. If you know her, please contact, like, send her my way. And she would go episode by episode and, like, analyze it for, like, touches, glances, (laughs) like, whispers, tight shots. And we all just read with, like, bated breath. All the, oh, God. Because
2: that love story really was such a huge draw. It
3: was so compelling to Mm -hmm. watch because... Again, to Chris Carter's credit, I will give him some credit. He did create a very equal partnership. And from the first episode, Mulder and Scully like each other. You can see it in the faces. Like, they're, you know, she's she's resisting it. She's trying to debunk him. But when they lose those nine minutes, when they're standing in the rain on the pavement and they're staring at each other, grinning, because they've, like, happened upon this amazing, you know, they're like, this is it. We figured something, like... You can see it. It like is from the very first episode. They are bonded, and like, you and that persists through the the entirety of the series. And because he kept the writing platonic, like the tension was found within the chemistry of the actors.
1: So yep. was there pushback? Like, would there be like arguments and stuff? Or where were like the there big... were
3: two camps? <laughs> they were the relationshipers, which is where you get shippers from. Like yeah, the, the, shippers. The, I, I ship it. The X Files spawned the term shippers, and then there were the no romos who Did not want a romantic relationship, which is to already happen. such
1: a dude. No homo. Yeah, yeah <laughs>
3: 100. No um, and uh, and yeah, and they would just fight. Like uh, by fight, I mean somebody would comment on like a tripod. Side I, I like,
1: think like, Mulder like cradled Scully because she's going to be a key witness during the Senate hearings. No Romo. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah, and it was it, it's it's really one of the first I feel like emergences of like. This type of massive fandom. Well, Um, even
1: the even the uh, the. I I mean, I remember being like a, a, you know, on my parents. Yeah like AOL I don't think we had AOL I think we had some Prodigy Netscape
3: we're, Navigator Yeah be, there
1: but like his. The Lone Gunman Like reflected the way That like me and yeah, my friends Yeah you was talking about The Lone
2: Gunman For a little bit oh. real, real quick I have hey, one Frank. thing I, I, I wanted to mention too Before we get into that While uh, uh, with From the Phantom's point of view And I think it ties into What you were saying Between the two camps um, While the show was created To be plot driven um, The fans found it to be More character driven It sounds to me like The shippers are just The characters Character-driven mm-hmm. camp, and the no romos is just another word for the people who were just way more into the plot-driven yeah, stuff. You absolutely. know, that's the real breakdown. But it turned into you know, will will they, won't they? I don't care whether they will or won't. You know, camps. But um, yeah, the lone gunman. I know I remember the lone gunman was a thing that I feel like by this point I'd kind of fallen off of the show. Um and and then it looked like this cool thing I was missing out on that was going on with the show with the Lone gunman I, I was... mean the
3: show was so dark and so mysterious and so serious that they needed to somehow inject this uh comedy like this you know comic relief into it, and I kind of loved The Lone Gunman because the interaction between The Lone Gunman and Mulder like one hundred percent wipes away like the cool dude facade that Mulder has yes. and you recognize that he's a total fucking conspiracy goober. Yeah, yeah. He's hanging out with these nerds. He totally. just happens to be like the pretty version of that. He's just
2: a super duper nerd. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Yeah.
1: Uh, and I mean obviously the spin off series that uh accurately Predicted 9-11 to a scary degree. Whatever, yeah. moving on. Either way, whatever, though, with that.
2: Uh, yeah, they, the, uh, they first appear in season one, episode 17, but it was all, like, tiny appearances. It was really the fans, again, that got them more into the <clears throat> front lines. There were, like, T-shirts being made of them and stuff like that, and then... Yes, they got their own spin off in, uh, they ran for only one season in 2001. Uh, seems like, uh, Mr. Uh, Carter, right? Carter? Yes. I'm already losing it. <laughs> Mr. Carter, uh, couldn't really catch fire with, with, with any anything else that much besides The X Files. It seemed like that was kind of the one. What about the movies?
3: So the first movie, Fight the Future, happens between seasons five and six. Holden, I'm I'm a little upset that you, like, let off around season three, you said, is when you lost interest. Probably. Because that's when the show really hit its stride. Right. And you start getting into some phenomenal episodes in season four and season five.
2: So I went back and I watched a couple. I want to watch more. Um, I watched Home... Uh, mm-hmm. I watched uh, Triangle.
3: Oh, that's such a fun one! Uh, yeah.
2: We didn't get to Triangle. That's
1: the the flashbacky one on the. Yeah,
2: boat. that's when
3: he gets stuck in the Bermuda Triangle, and there's like 1938 awesome. Skelly in a really amazing dress. And, yeah,
2: yeah, it's it's great, and it reminded me too of her uh, portrayal. Uh, I, I love her as media in American Gods. By the way, she's so oh, yeah. great in uh, that show as that character um and pulls off so many different like uh characters and approaches and everything. Um oh col- and the
3: cinematography in triangle is phenomenal amazing
2: as well. it just keeps like moving around and 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 then they do a split screen of like past and present and, and it's just absolutely feels like an a strong effort. Uh Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose.
3: Season four an incredible episode one of my favorites. Phenomenal
2: Peter Boyle uh just crushes it as this uh character, this um psychic uh, uh, essentially a reluctant can, psychic a reluctant psychic it 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 really nails the like absolute um the the, the two ends of comedy and an absolute uh, scary seriousness of the show it really has like all of cuz you said it's a very dark tone show but there's actually quite a bit of, of moments of levity when they when they can find it and there's mm-hmm. i know there's the one about like the um Scary book author, or something like that, that was supposed to be Jose good?
3: Chung's from Outer Space, probably. Yep. Yeah, I made Jake watch that one. Oh, that awesome! written
2: I need by to see Glenn that one.
3: Morgan, yeah, there are some phenomenal writers on this show. Stumbled Glenn Morgan.
1: backwards into the show. Did mm-hmm. you, the writer of uh, Jose Chung's from Outer Space? Wait, no, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Am I mean, okay, Jose Chung's from Outer Space, uh. Was the Fluke Monster in season one? Whoa, that guy with the weird kissy mouth. Yeah, that that is an episode
2: too. That's actually I quite feel like well known they use like, footage of monster. that
1: guy in like a lot of ads. He's like very iconic when I think of the Xbox. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: season one with uh, Beyond the Sea about Scully dealing with like the loss of her father mm-hmm. and and uh, all that stuff, and, and a moment where the roles kind of switch because this like inmate on death row is like. Speaking to her, like, as her father or something, and she's the one buying it, and Mm -hmm. Mulder's the one being like, whoa, 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 here, which I think is an interesting twist, and also really displayed um, uh, Gillian Anderson's acting talent, and uh, the uh, musings of a cigarette-smoking man is another one that's more part of the myth arc that tells like, the backstory Mm -hmm. of that character, and they had really cool episodes where they could delve into the backstories of different characters, especially Mm -hmm. later on. Uh, Oh, we didn't even get into the whole part of this where after season five, uh, Scully uh, pitches a fit about not being in L.A. with his wife, Tia Leone. Duchovny.
3: No, Dave, uh, David, David Duchovny. Yeah. Who
2: did I say? I mean,
3: in, Scully. In no. my
2: perfect <laughs> world, way. Gillian
1: Anderson would be married to Tia Leone. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but right? I just have a very particular set of aesthetics.
2: <laughs> but um, yeah, so in, in season, uh, at the end of season five, um,
3: uh, David Duchovny David Duchovny, Thank
2: you. Pitches a fit about Uh, uh, needing to be more in L.A. Um, It was he made a comment on like a late night show about how shitty the weather is in Vancouver and it pissed a bunch of Vancouver people off and they all thought that he was just doing that because he just didn't want to deal with like he didn't like Vancouver but apparently he said no it's because like I'm away from my family and I just want to And I've been
1: having nonstop sex with prostitutes I've literally (laughs) had sex with all of Canada at this
2: point and I don't even know these diseases (laughs) the diseases I have now I don't even know they're different because they're from a different country so um uh, anyways, he, the, he ends up getting the
1: whole production. There's nuked. no coming back from the Ottawa clap.
2: <laughs> the one thing I can't deal with, with all this, like I get that you don't want to be away from your wife, but like so many people lost their jobs. So many people that oh. would later reprise their jobs on the films, um, and, and, and whatnot. And, uh, and that really got me I was just like, man, I don't think I could stomach. Doing that to that many people, mm-hmm. like, uh, and they know.
3: talk about like how intense the filming hours were because a lot of these were like shot at night, so they'd have to do it at like three o'clock in the morning, right? And so these super long hours and these intense, like, these are hour long episodes every single week that are yeah. shot like movies. Like yeah. it was intense to create this show, and they kept the the whole cast and crew the entire time through. So yeah, having David Duchovny just signed up and move everything to L.A. was. Bit
2: of a bummer. Yeah, a little bit.
3: I maintain it's because his acting, like his movie career, didn't take off the way he wanted it to. Uh. And so then he. He's that was like, part of the hissy fit where he wanted to move to L.A. So in between means seasons, his
1: Larry Sanders show guest spots weren't paying the bills <laughs> in between seasons
2: five and six, which is when this is all going down. Um, they do the uh, X-Files fight the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out. This is 1998. Rob Bowman is the director notable for uh, doing a lot of work on this uh, Star Trek. The next generation. Um and uh Chris Carter wrote the screenplay uh also Rob Bowman worked on X-Files the show for a long time the series uh, the first time they broke the rule with not getting names uh was this movie they got Martin Landau and Blythe Danner to uh oh, mm-hmm. act in, in it and uh that was actually the literally the first time that uh Carter allowed for them to get, you know, names on the show. And uh, Martin Lawrence the
1: played the bee that stinks Scully. Yes, that's right. I <laughs> they remember used that. used
2: CGI. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. He was it was gonna be the fart monster. And they were like, we gotta take this seriously. And he was just like, put down Carter, put the bong down. Because they never called him Chris. They always called him Carter. Carter, put the bong down! It's as big as the
1: room um, Nobody dude. kiss dude Nobody <laughs> kiss Dude
2: bro it's like they like each other But do they like like <laughs> each other no remote uh, as soon as you put in it uh, uh, oh i already read that uh, so anyways uh they wanted to film in a, as many different locations as possible to give the film a grander feel i remember getting that since i believe i saw this movie in the theater and i believe i i enjoyed it quite a bit i don't believe i don't think i saw the later movie they made but this was good right
3: yeah, no, it was an, encapsula- an, an encapsulation of the myth arc, pretty much. Like, yeah. They kind of fast-forwarded through, like, the alien history, but so they shot in, like, D.C., and they had the big Antarctica finale, yeah. so it, like, got very dynamic. I remember that. I remember as, a yeah. cornfield. Oh, they run through opens the cornfield, on a cornfield with the bees, because there's bees and bee yes. husbandry. Yeah, there's, yes. yeah.
2: Yes, I remember that. I remember being very pleased with it. I thought it was a great... It uh, was an exciting movie. And that
3: hallway scene, which we will hate forever, us shippers, I identify as a shipper, yeah, (laughs) was an iconic moment when did you come
2: out to your parents as a shipper
3: (laughs) i was very youngest when i asked them for the magazine subscription i said (laughs) i oh i subscribed to the x-files magazine oh yeah yeah i
1: was what did they cover in the
3: x-files magazine i don't know like (laughs) like, it was a lot of like hey here's the dude that did the makeup for her for tombs or whatever and they would like go through so it was actually really interesting because again like you said there was like so much like Crew that worked on this post production was insane. Yeah. And like this, the the uh, the practical effects for all these monsters, like it was in depth. And they would like interview these people and talk a 20 about twenty page expose for all of this.
1: on Mark Snow's synthesizers.
3: And we ate it up. <laughs> we loved all of it. Uh,
2: so after this movie, the the show continues for a few more seasons. Um, and I think that again From what I was hearing at the time it was like oh they're Leaning even more on this Really confusing myth arc thing and It's just getting all all convoluted
1: um, Carter the end, they uh, weren't Even like FBI agents anymore they were just On the run from super soldiers Yeah
3: they were, yeah back and forth about Sometimes it was shut down and then they reopened It and then they <laughs> shut it down again and then they were on The lam like it it goes back and forth
2: So the beginning of season nine they're seeing Terrible numbers uh, Carter says we lost our audience on the first episode it's like the audience had gone away and i didn't know how to find them i didn't want to work to get them back because i believe that we were doing uh what we were doing deserved to have them back which i think is a bad way to look at things um no man annabeth gish was delivering great
3: she's great robert
1: patrick the
2: crew found a way to blame all it all on 9-11 uh the media blamed it on uh lackluster stories and poor writing which is probably more the what happened? Um, And the show gets canceled. Oh, so
1: the real conspiracy shut down the fake
2: one. The real conspiracy. Loose change. Look it up. Or the, or the show got canceled in 2002. By this time, is not even really on the show.
3: Right. So he goes into hiding frequently and is at one point abducted. So for, I believe... Uh, most of the eighth season, he's like kind of not there or sometimes he'll come in because they bring in Doggett and Reyes, who's Annabeth Gish and Robert Patrick. Of course. Uh, in the beginning of season eight. <laughs> and so then it's kind of like the three of them. And I think that Chris Carter was trying to like develop like, oh, X-Files is just going to be this thing where we always have two agents who have contrasting personalities and we'll move it into perpetuity. Right. We can lose our incredibly charismatic duo that drove this right. show for seven years. Whatever. Details. Um, <laughs> so I feel like he was trying to set up those new... So it created like a weird balance with the three of them and then sometimes... And
2: would Pocky back, the yeah. talking dog. I mean, what are we doing? I mean, why are we even doing that? And know? then by the
3: time you hit season nine... R- I'm like, the subject of Rubberman <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh pocky, yeah. you so crazy. And they were like, That's Martin. And they're just like, who is saying that? You know, I can't believe that line
1: Rye right, runs ran a <laughs> I didn't what? <laughs>
2: um So, the show is dead and nobody cares about it anymore.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Nobody liked it. No, no, no. But Marie uh and and a giant swath of fans uh loved it still. I mean, how was that when it canceled? Were you ready for a break? Did yeah, you-
3: no, we were I mean, once DeChovney pretty much left and the duo was split up, like the show lost I mean, it it the it lost a lot of its charm. Like mm-hmm. that. And they tried the whole Scully getting actually pregnant, and is it Mulder's baby or isn't it Mulder's baby? And that was like Interesting. And I honestly did like Annabeth Gish. Like I, I loved seeing two female agents interact, like with differing perspectives. Like it was That's cool. It was fra- but it like it wasn't, I mean, the, show. It right. wasn't the show. It just wasn't the show that we all it knew. It should and have been
2: love. like a spin-off show. Called Rizzoli that Rizzoli that and Isles. Oh,
3: <laughs> uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> no.
2: Called like, Called yes. Pocky's uh, day out. <laughs> Pocky's nutty week in the cornfield. Uh so the show's dead for a while. X-Files, I want to believe Hits in 2008. I uh, saw it snooze. Yeah, I but did not. But they
1: struggled.
0: S- uh,
2: <laughs> I don't think I did see it. Directed by Chris Carter himself, the man, the bra himself. <sighs> uh, written by Chris Carter and Frank Spotnitz. Um, it uh, uh, doesn't, fo- it's, It's. It's. Uh, they decided to make a Monster of the Week mm-hmm. film, right? Yeah. Yeah, since they had already done the Myth Arc, now it's to make the Monster of the Week version, it was like there's a priest and there's a,
1: a cult, a, and it's a priest and a cult and like an underground like surgery mutant making facility.
2: Confusing, right? Very convoluted, confusing. It addressed plot. like
1: Catholic sex like uh, controversies, and I was just like, I this is you are. This is a very heavy subject, yeah. and Billy Connolly is not right. handling it great. It was
3: a very poor attempt at fan service, who never got to see that like Mulder Scully relationship truly resolve. Every time he'd have them kiss, it was either chased or in the dark or whatever. There was no real concrete resolution. And in the second movie, they kiss in broad daylight. And at that point, we're all just like, I don't, okay, yeah, fine. Right. It's great. Thank you.
2: Cool. All <laughs> right. <laughs> And and so everything kind of goes away for a while. Uh, years pass. Carter and Duchovny uh, start pushing for a, a third movie in 2012. Fox doesn't give approval. Fox in
1: 2015. They're like though, some surfer and the star of evolution want our money. Should we answer the <laughs> call? <laughs> um, in
2: 2015. Fox does confirm, though, that they're looking to bring X Files back. How did you react to
3: that? Well, okay. So, in the meantime, before, like, after the second movie, David Duchovny has a huge hit with Californication. Yes. He starts getting back into, like, you know, the public. The public's mind. was California right? occasion, yeah. People like it was like critically acclaimed. People, yeah. were super into people it. Were really, it got into really it. Big. I, I still
2: yeah. want to go back and watch it.
3: Plus, it played on that whole sex addiction thing that David Copperfield yes, has, which really was well. like perfect. That thing. whole people, that
2: whole mystique. He was able to kind of <laughs> yeah. come out with that and then play it perfectly into yeah. a TV show. Is kind of brilliant.
3: And meanwhile, Gillian Anderson hauls ass to London and becomes like an acclaimed stage actress. Yeah, and like builds up like this repertoire of incredible like period films. She wins. An insane number of awards, like, so then she's, you know, back in the public spotlight, prestigious, ready. So I think they were both positioned for, like, you know, a thing that, like, yay, okay, fine, it's time to bring it back, because now they have two actually bona fide adults. And they both
1: get just enough plastic surgery that they still look hot.
3: Okay. (laughs) Uh
1: Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh.
3: I don't know how much work they've had done, I'm not going to say it, but... You can see they've aged in pictures. Yeah, I went to Comic-Con in 2013 for the 20th anniversary. The only reason I went was to stand in line for four hours and get my picture taken with David Duchovny and photo. Jillian Anderson. Thank you very much. <laughs> the look on my face is one of pure terror because when you have an existential crisis, it shows. Um, <laughs> but uh, I walked up to them and they both glowed from within luminous two of the most beautiful people I've ever seen in my real life like they are beautiful human beings mm-hmm. so I can't even imagine if I had seen them in person when they were young I probably, probably would have exploded, yeah. totally like, exploded I cannot even imagine
1: <laughs> so uh, and that's it, how I felt on our first
2: date <laughs> I'm, gonna bur- I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna <laughs> you. Uh, so they, they <laughs> it is confirmed uh, and the new show premieres January twenty fourth, twenty sixteen. That's just last year at the time of this recording. Uh, and you know, it, I
1: was glowing too, Marie. But uh, that was because of my cool light up sneakers. Oh.
3: <laughs> Take me now, God! <laughs> so then, don't know Romo. So Us, <laughs> right? no Romo. I'm team no Romo. All right. You know
2: what I'm saying? I hate Ross and Rachel. And I hate.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> how was <is> the revival? <laughs>
3: Um, what was it like? It was like six episodes? Yeah, it was just, uh, and again, the Monster of the Week ones, so much better than when they tried to like, re- because the, uh, again, the show was at the beginning of the internet, so it like grew up with the internet, and so they were just getting into exploring how technology could like invade our lives and track us and all this conspiracy stuff, but now we are like firmly entrenched in iPhone GPS, the NSA knows where you are at all times land, and the energy of the show is just completely different. Right. Like, it... It. And, and so trying to be like, oh, I suspect a conspiracy... Like, no shit, Mulder. They're all tracking <laughs> us at all yeah, times. Right. Like, it just...
2: Interesting. Yeah,
3: it didn't feel... But seeing them again was great. The Monster of the Week stuff is great. They always have phenomenal writers that they pull in for the show. Like, and, you know, and now there's going to be a season 11. Yeah, so. 11
2: season, uh, 10 episodes... In uh, January of 2018, that is that is next month, again, at the time of this recording. Um, so there you go. We got something to be excited about, you X-Files with a PH. Is Vince Gilligan coming back?
3: God I hope so mm. He was so, so
2: good Yeah I didn't even mention we, we, we didn't even mention Vince Gilligan In the episode uh, Drive Season 6 episode 2 Vince Gilligan uh, Directed the episode Cast Brian Cranston As like Essentially the star Of the episode As a man who claims His brain will explode If he travels less Than a certain speed And he made him This crazy insane dude And Brian Cranston Was able to take the role And make him a Personable Relatable person At the same time As being a lunatic Vince Gilligan went Hmm And kept it in the back of his <laughs> mind and that is how uh, vince Gilligan, of course went on to create breaking bad and cast brian cranston as the lead and it's all because of that episode of the x-files brian cranston was a big writer a showcase of before we uh uh, sign off on this one. Just wanted to showcase some of the writers that we didn't even mention. Um, Darren Morgan, who wrote uh, Clyde Bruckman's final response and Humbug, among many others. Glenn Morgan, who did Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man, Beyond the Sea, Ice Squeeze episodes of uh, that are phono- that are loved oh, by fans. Yeah,
3: if you like John Carpenter's The Thing, watch the episode Ice.
2: Watch Ice, right? Yeah, James Wong, little who did Little Green Men, Beyond the Sea, uh, Die Hand, Die Verletzt, which you, is supposed the, to be a great the, one. Close enough. Yep. Uh, Frank Spotnitz, who of course we said like co-wrote the movie and all. He did Memento Mori and Piper Ooh. Maru. Uh, Vince Gilligan also wrote on Memento Mori. William Gibson, Tom Maddox, and Howard Gordon uh, are a few more names, just to name Stephen a few. Stephen King! There was, really?
3: Yeah, Stephen King actually wrote a really lackluster episode, but it's huh. my personal favorite because huh. that's when lesbian Scully comes out in full force. Huh. She looks her most butch and that's the <laughs> I really appreciate. She's, I believe
1: it. the term is bi-dialectical.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I made the same joke
2: twice
1: and still
2: work no, <laughs> no, so uh, anything else before we uh, ended today I think that about covers it
1: right uh, I feel like we you know we could if we had more time to catch up with the entirety of the series uh, we'd be gushing more about it. I want to go back and watch more episodes and, I, I, I as well and I'm really thankful that Marie was here with us to give us like a real fan perspective yeah. thanks for being here
3: thank you so much for having me guys
1: <laughs> hell yeah um, Alright And once and we'll just lose And just another Thread on the Facebook group About how everyone Likes her more than us
2: <laughs> <laughs> Alright um, uh, If you want to check us out Patreon.com Forward slash Whizbrew If you'd like Right Whizbrew I can't even think right now Whizbrew If you uh, want to check out Our Patreon uh, we do, We're doing bonus content All the time We've got interviews We've got um, Answering fan questions uh, We've got uh, Just discussions About different things Current events happening In gaming Comics Movies Everything if you can you've think ever of
1: been listening to this show on a commute and it just i'm sorry you know the, the episode ended and you still got some more time and you're like oh i wish there was 25 more minutes of chicanery patreon will get you covered five bucks a month a new
2: episode of bonus content once a week also uh if you want to check me out twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho jake uh
1: you can follow me on twitter at best jake young and i uh contribute things to dorkly.com and its accompanying youtube channel
2: all right. Anything and to pump?
3: I don't have a social media presence, once again, because Beautiful. I already know that the government is watching. There <laughs> you go.
2: Fantastic. From a true X-File with a PH herself. Thank you much, everybody. Have a good one.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish Sandwich
1: all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it.